Well, good morning. Yeah, it's pretty good. Nice job. You wouldn't sound like it was the first Sunday in September, the last official Sunday in the summer. Um, and I say official because next week we're supposed to get 90 degree temps, so you still have some time to get out and swim in a lake. So you should do, do, spend a little time outside this next week because uh, falls are coming. You can feel it in the air. You know, being that it is a transition time of year, one thing you also tend to notice is there's a lot of change in going back to school, rhythms at work and life and family home, and there's, it's kind of like a new year. It's kind of like an unofficial New Year's where you start to ask questions about what's this season going to bring. Uh, if you're a student and you're starting a new uh, year in school, you're asking questions about what that's going to look like, an athlete, and how much better, faster, stronger you'll get for this upcoming season. Uh, there's a lot of questions that, that come to mind. And one question I want you to wrestle with this morning is this. What does it look like to get better? What does it look like to get better? To become better at an accomplishment, achievement, uh, an athletic endeavor, maybe it's becoming a better husband or wife, maybe it's becoming a better student, or deepening and growing your faith in Jesus Christ, where you grow further and faster and you get to know who Jesus is and really fall in love with him all over again. What does it look like to get better? And today I'll unpack what the Bible says about growing and why we cannot do this without each other because we are better together. So would you bow with me and pray with me and for me as we open the Word of God this morning? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for an opportunity to stand before you, Lord, and to know and be humbled by the realization that every breath that we take in this room is given by you, that every gift, every talent, every ability is enabled by you, God, that all things are to you, all things are through you, and all things are for you. And so, God, as we look at your word this morning, may it be what captures our heart, not my word, Lord, but your word. May it read us as we think deeply and biblically about who you are, God, and what it is you're calling us to do. God, shape our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles handy, I'd encourage you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, this will also be in the notes or in our church app. You can go into the U version. It's a really simple way to follow along with the sermon. Uh, the scripture's already there, or there is Bibles in the seat back in front of you. I will be spending some time in the New Living Translation, and I get this question a lot. What is the difference between translations? And that's a whole nother sermon. But if you're interested in finding out a little more, back by the patio, there's some bookshelves. And on one of those shelves, there's a description of what different translations mean, how to look at them and read them, and what that uh, all entails. And you can actually see different types there. Primarily, uh, Pastor Trinity and myself and whoever's up here preaches out of the ESV and the NLT, uh, typically. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I want to pause there before I read 14 through 16. So what you're seeing right away here is that God, 
through Christ gave us gifts, that the church has gifts. And those gifts are not like a present you wrapped under a tree or a birthday gift. Those gifts are in the form of people with specific skills that are meant to build the church up, to make the church better. That through these gifts, God's mission, his ministry is done and carried out, and it is called through the church. His reason is to attain to the goal, which is the standard of Christ, that we get to know him and measure ourselves, not according to each other, not according to any human standard, but according to the standard of Christ. So let's continue with verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Here's the beautiful part about this passage, is that every part makes every other part grow. That God brings us together as the body of Christ. And because of that, each of us, every single person in this room and in the past two services, and those of you who are online, and those who may not have come today and be watching this later, all of us have a role in the body of Christ. And when those roles work as functioned, our own special work that we do individually, uniquely to help the other parts grow. And that's what it looks like to be the body of Christ. Therefore, spiritual growth requires responsibility. Spiritual growth requires responsibility. It was 1964, and a young woman by the name of Catherine Genovese was returning to her home after a night shift, and she, in the early hours of the morning, was walking back to her apartment when she was attacked. And come to find out later through police reports, 38 different people heard her cries for help, and only one person hollered out their window and told them to stop and be quiet. That caused the attacker to leave for a little bit. He came back when no one else came out. And this young woman succumbed to her injuries eventually and passed away. Because of that story and that situation, a term came to be in psychological circles. And here's the term. It's called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect means that people are less likely to offer help when other people are present that you're less likely to offer any kind of help when other people are present. So here's a great example. Um, I can't use my kids anymore in the sermon uh, because I'm going broke by paying them for all my sermon illustrations. Uh, so I have to use uh, somebody else. And, and someone asked me the other day, well, do you pay when like Pastor Trinity and you used him in a service? I'm like, nope. Once you hit 18, you're cut off. So there's a life lesson there somewhere. <clears throat> uh, but here I am. When I first moved up here to Alexandria, my parents graciously took my family in because they have a place over on Lake Darling. And so we moved in there with them while we were looking for our own home. And while we were living there, it was awesome. Every morning I'd wake up before I go to work and my mom would be like, honey, what can I make you for breakfast? 
And she'd put together omelets and, and just fresh fruit and make me my coffee. And all I would have to do is just sit there and eat it. It was great. Meanwhile, my wife is giving me these dagger eyes like, really? <laughs> you kidding me? You're not going to get up and make your own food? You're going to make your mom do it? I'm like, well, she offered. You know, why not, right? It was really easy to be a bystander in my parents' home after having not lived there for a long time because my mom just made breakfast every morning. I did not have to take responsibility for such things. And then we moved out, and I got my own home with my family, and then I get up early in the morning to go to work, and my wife does a lot of cooking, but she doesn't get up as early as I do, and so I was on my own. And if I wanted to eat something, I had to take responsibility for myself, (laughs) which was a little harder than just having my mom there to make food for me. But the assumption of the bystander effect means that we believe other people are responsible, not us. And it becomes something very easy to do in that our Christian lives and our work lives, it's very, very simple for us just to say, well, it's somebody else's problem because they're around and they see it too, so I'm just going to wait for them to take care of that. I heard a story about four men in a life raft. They had just survived a shipwreck, and these four men were in the life raft, and the two men on one side were just bailing furiously, just trying to get the water out. And the two men on the other side, one leans over to the other, and he says, he says, thank God Almighty, the hole is not on our side of the boat. (laughs) The joke in that is it's a fatal flaw, right? (laughs) It's coming to your side whether you like it or not. You see, the truth and the reality of the bystander effect is that what affects one of us affects many of us. It's not just somebody else's problem. That's not how the body was designed. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It'll be up on the screen. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Let me reread that. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Catch that? Every single one of us has a spiritual gift. Every one of us has a talent and ability that God instilled in you that is not meant for you, it's meant for other people. And that by using it, you help other people grow. See, the Christian worldview does not support the bystander effect. Because by our very nature, God made us to be responsible. Emil Brunner, who's a Swiss theologian uh, responsible for a lot of our systematic theology, uh, he wrote this quote, and I think it's so impactful. He said this, One who has understood the nature of responsibility has understood the nature of mankind. Responsibility is not an attribute. It is the substance of human existence. It distinguishes us from all other creatures. You see, this is what makes us different as image bearers of the living God, is that he made us to be responsible, and not only so, but he equips us with a tool to build the church, each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You see, every single person that calls themselves part of the body of believers at Alexandria Covenant Church, who has made Jesus their Lord and Savior, has been given a spiritual gift. And not only have you been given that gift, 
but you are called to use it. When it's used, we grow. When it's not used, we don't. You see, growing requires taking responsibility and using the gifts that God has given us. Uh, think of a couple of examples uh, recently that happened to me. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were getting ready for the ministry fair, I was here one Saturday night setting up my table, getting everything ready. And, and, and Pastor Greg was here too. He's kind of a night owl, so he's uh, usually around. And, and so um, he was just asking, he's like, hey, where, where can you find a push broom around here? And I'm like, push broom? He's off his carpet, you know, like, what's he brushing up? What's going on here? And so I just didn't ask questions. I said, yep, there's one right over here, I think, in this closet. And he went and got the broom out. And then as I was leaving... Pastor Greg is out in the parking lot sweeping. That there was enough rain the night before that had washed rocks into the roundabout and it just kind of left a trail and it looked really messy. And he took it upon himself to just go out there and clean it up. On a Saturday night, there's Pastor Greg out there with a the push broom. And you know, I, I have so much love and respect for that man. And it just went through the roof when I saw him out there. I thought, you know, Here's a guy who took responsibility, who saw something that could make our church look better, and he just did it. He just went out and did it because he just wanted the place to look nicer before Sunday. Another situation that I had uh, with, with the fall, I don't know, like me, maybe you feel this way, but when the fall starts to come, all these different details come up. And my, one of my biggest struggles is anxiety because I can be very distractible. And so if I have a lot of tasks to do, I have a hard time just doing one of them. I have to try to do all of them at once and then I don't get stuff done. So this is just kind of my own situation. So then I get anxiety about it. Well, anyhow, I was having a particularly bad day and I have a group of men that I meet with every Thursday morning, men that I love dearly who I've gotten to know over the course of the, the last year who are considered basically my life group. And we share all of our highs and lows. We talk about things we're going through, and it's just a beautiful group of brothers that we, we connect with. And I called, texted one of them, and I said, hey, um, I'm really struggling today. Like, I'm really feeling overwhelmed. These are all the things that are going on in my life. I'm having some anxiety. Would you pray for me? Five minutes went by, and he calls me up and says, hey, I'm sitting down in the patio section at Menards and I got your text and I just, I want to pray for you over the phone. I about lost it because it was so impactful to me that somebody would take responsibility for my own struggle and say, I want to hold you up as a brother in Christ and pray for you and care for you. And I became a better man that day because another man took responsibility and used his spiritual gift to build and pour into my life. And that's what it looks like when the body builds itself up in love. Spiritual growth requires responsibility. Spiritual growth also produces fruit. It produces fruit. That when you use your spiritual gifts, something happens. Something really beautiful happens. And you may be asking yourself this question right now. Am I using my spiritual gift? What, what are they? Actually, I've been asked that a couple times today. Um, am I using it to build a church? And I, I just, what does that look like? Well, Jesus taught that you can measure or recognize gifts by the fruit they're producing, by what comes of it. And in the passage I'm going to read to you, just so you know the context, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is teaching about this. Um, the principle is, is true. He's talking about somebody who's not using their spiritual gifts in an appropriate way, but, but the principle rings true for what we're discussing today. So I want to read this to you from Matthew chapter 7. Starting with verse 15, he says this, Beware of false prophets. So someone who has a spiritual gift who's using it inappropriately, who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. 
That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So if you want to know how you're doing, look at the fruit. Look at what's happening as a result of the way you use your spiritual gift. And just from Ephesians 4, I came up with a little list of what these things are. Uh, four things I want to quickly talk about that are, 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 are fruits that come from using your spiritual gift to build people up around you. The first one is really simple. It's being like Christ. If he's the standard of who we become like when we use our spiritual gifts, then we are living into this mission that he gave us, the Great Commission. That God sent him on a mission, he came, he did the mission, and then he left us to continue it. And the more we become like him, the more evidence there is that we're using our spiritual gifts to build people up around us. It's the compassion. I mean, think of it, Jesus, when he just walked through a crowd, he'd just have compassion on people. Or he'd see someone's physical need and he'd meet it. Or he'd take care and time to talk to the little kids. Or we'd spend time just attending to people that everyone else is like, why would you talk to that person? They're a sinner. Why would you go there? But Jesus cared about people physically, spiritually. I mean, he's God. And he showed up in a beautiful way, selfless, obedient, and compassionate. And if we're like him, then we're using our gifts well. The next thing I wrote down was stability not being tossed around, but with every new belief. And I can't tell you as a pastor, I hear new beliefs all the time. (laughs) Hey, Pastor Dave, let me tell you about this new theory and that new theory. And and then this prophet said that, and this person said this. And and I'm like, whoa, time out here. (laughs) There's nothing new after Jesus. He was the final person who came to set the tone for what is to come. He gave us his word. He gave us his example. And we have the Bible to rely on. And we have this stability that comes when you're in conversation with people, right? If, if you're an isolated Christian, you are so at risk for being tossed around because isolated Christians don't have another Christian friend to go to and say, hey, I heard this. What do you think about this? Can we discuss and pray about that? And there becomes stability when that happens. That's why church bodies are so important so that we do not get picked off by every clever teaching that's out there that doesn't lean into the word of God and the mission of God. And then also what happens, the other fruit that we see is we get truth with love. So if you just have love and no truth, you have hypocrisy. If you have truth and no love, you have brutality. But if you have truth and love together, you have people in your life who are willing to say hard things in a loving way that will challenge you to become a better person. I mean, that's the coach on any team who loves his athletes so much that he's willing to tell them a few hard things to press through so that he gets better or she gets better. And that's how God wired us as the body of Christ was to have fruit like this where people speaking the truth into our life with love. And the last one I wrote down as a fruit is an interdependence. Interdependence. So we have dependence, which is kind of like how I was when I was living at home. <laughs> and my mom just gave me all the food and I just kind of showed up there. And, and there's, there's dependence, right? There is independence, 
which is I'm going to be on my own and I'm my own person. I'm focused on myself. I'm not accountable to anyone. I'm just my own man doing this alone. That's independence. And then there's interdependence, which is we work together on a goal or a mission that I have a responsibility in the relationship and you have a responsibility in the relationship. And as we lend the best of who we are to each other, then something gets accomplished in a very, very beautiful way. That's how God designed us to be, in relationship with each other and in relationship with him. It's a beautiful thing when we see how God does this and where does this happen? So if you examine your life and you don't see fruit, don't feel bad. Here's why. Because feeling bad is checking the box of I did something about this conviction. <laughs> so if you just feel bad about sin, that's not repentance, right? If, if somebody tells you, hey, go do this, and you said, oh, I feel bad, I didn't do that, then you didn't do it, and you just let it be. But actually taking a step forward in response to if you feel a conviction that I need to be in relationships that make me better. Whenever God's word says something and I'm challenged by it, I know I have to act on it, not just think about it, because action is what reveals us, is our fruit. So your next step is my next point. Spiritual growth happens in a group. Spiritual growth happens in a group. You need people around you in order to become better. You can't one another, one another, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. You can't do that without a one another. You need people around you, right? And it can't just be here on Sunday morning. Because on Sunday morning, it becomes way too easily to become isolated. You can show up and sit in a row and not actually interact with other people. We, this is a struggle for America and church right now, is that it's very easy to show up and blend in and then leave and say, well, gee, I I'm not really growing spiritually. There must be something wrong with that pastor or that church or something. The truth is, we need to be in relationships with each other in order to grow. The body builds itself up in love. So when other people are in your life and encouraging and using their spiritual gifts to grow you, that's how we grow. That's how God designed us. I, I love camping. Um, I love all kinds of camping. We Sometimes glamp. I like, we just did a Boundary Waters trip with the men here at this church, and I led a, a group of six guys. We went out to the woods, and it was anything but glamping. It was out there, six miles deep in the Boundary Waters, and it was super fun. But the one thing that I've learned about camping over the years is your experience is directly related, directly related to your responsibility and to the people that you camp with. <laughs> so if you are getting up to the portage, and somebody says, yeah, I, I've got a lifting restriction and I can't carry anything. <laughs> then you're carrying everything and it becomes a much longer portage when you go back and forth all the time, right? The people that you camp with do make a big difference. And also, if you're like me and you went camping in the Boundary Waters and you only brought an underquilt for your hammock and you didn't bring a top quilt, and then you got really cold the first night because you forgot to bring something that was important to camping, your experience is directly related to your responsibility and to who you camp with. And so that's the question, is how are you, church family, using your gifts to make each other better and letting other people the opportunity in your life to make you better and to grow you spiritually? Being in a group just makes you better. You learn from each other. You support one another and encourage. You accomplish things. You celebrate. And you motivate each other. And that only happens when you have a team of people that you're with. 
That's how God designed it. Hebrews 10, uh, 23 through 25 says it this way. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another and to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's no room for being a bystander in the Christian church. There just isn't. We suffer as a church if you don't use your gifts to make us better. I think of that, that short telephone conversation prayer that I had with a guy from my group. I became better because he took the time to take responsibility for me and call me up and pray for me. And when we do that for each other, we do grow. You can be online or in person and still miss out on this because we need to have people and to be in relationship with each other. And so here's my question for you. What is your plan for spiritual growth? What's your plan for spiritual growth? If you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I've been attending, maybe I'm new, maybe uh, I've been here for a while and I'm not involved in, in, in groups of people I don't know, I don't have people in my life that will speak the truth and love into my life and challenge me and encourage me to read and pray, uh, I don't have those people in my life, what's your next step? The next step for you here is to get involved in a group. Get involved in a group. And I want to leave you with these four types of groups this morning so that you understand when you walk out of here, you understand how do I apply what Pastor Dave had said this morning, assuming that you want to apply it, but how do you apply? What does this look like? It's to be in a group of people for a season of time that will make you better. And these are the four types of groups. The red one up there with the heart on it is our care groups. And we have all kinds of care groups. We have groups that uh, fit with, you know, celebrate recovery. People have addictions and they come and, and they encourage one another and, and people pour into them and help them overcome things. We have Financial Peace University coming up in October. Everyone needs help with budgeting once in a while. It's fun to get other advice and hear mentors and people talk to about these topics. We have grief share and divorce care. And, and these care groups are meant for a specific pain point that you might be experiencing in life, that you can go and get help and encouragement and challenge through these groups. And then we have all kinds of different study groups. And this is one of the things that I love about this church is when I first came here, there was tons of study groups where we're looking intently and deeply into the word of God, studying it through Bible study fellowship or getting involved in a Sunday school class, which starts next week and then the week after. And we, we open up God's word and we dive into it together and we talk about it and we share it and we meditate on it so that we become more like Christ. Those are study groups. And then we have life groups. Life groups are, I think, one of the areas that we as a church in this community can really improve upon. What are life groups? Life groups are where we're committed not to a class or a study. We're committed to a group of people. That I'm going to take responsibility that whatever happens in my group is going to be something I'm going to do do something with. If someone in my group has something great to celebrate, I'm going to celebrate with them. If they're going through a hard time, I'm going to make them a meal, show up at their house, help out however I can. Life groups become the people that you commit yourself to for an extended season of time. It's like that men's group on Thursday morning that I get to lead and be a part of, that these men are committed to each other and we know what's going on in each other's lives and we show up to take care of each other. There are a couple life groups, there are women's life groups, there are all kinds of life groups. And if you're in a situation you want to start one, I'd love to help you with that. 
The last type of group, and this is the biggest push this fall that you'll kind of see, and that is our connect groups. You saw the Alpha video playing. Alpha is a great way to connect with people and hear truths about God's word, and there's meals there, and that's a fantastic uh, way for you to get to know our church better. We also have a church-wide campaign of small groups where a whole bunch of groups are going to be doing the Everybody Always series from Bob Goff. It's a super fun series. It's just really exciting and entertaining, but he also gets right into the heart of scripture and challenges people on how, to, how do you move through life with, with difficult people and circumstance? How do you love on people? And he does such a great job of that. And those groups, by the way, you can sign up for out in the foyer after you're done. But as I close here, I want to tell you the worst thing that you can do is nothing. The worst thing you can do is nothing. God does not endorse apathy in any of our lives. And if we sit by the side and watch life happen and do not step up to take responsibility for our own personal lives, spiritual lives, and the spiritual lives of other people, then we miss an opportunity to grow better and to become more like Jesus. It requires being in a group. It makes me think of uh, the redwood trees out in California. Got the chance to go there a couple of years ago. And one of the things I love about redwood trees, not only because they're just majestic and they stand 100 feet tall and they're just massive trees, but their roots, this is how they stand so tall. Their roots go out a long way out and connect to other trees' roots. And it provides stability and it provides nutrients. And it's through the, the, the intertwining, the connecting of their lives together that they become strong and majestic trees, resilient, that stand up to fires and are disease resistant. These are the kinds of trees that we as a church body become when we are plugged into each other's lives. And when we know, care for, celebrate, mourn with, be a part of those who are around us and share our gifts with the people in this room. And so that's my challenge to you is that you would not just come and be a part of this church on Sunday morning, but that you would jump into the lives of other people to lend both the gift that God gave you to build others and to receive that from somebody else. Would you bow with me as we pray? God, I'm just so thankful for every opportunity that you give us to know people, to grow more like you. God, that we can be in multiple relationships and mentors and have friendships. And God, as we discuss your word and pray about it and use our spiritual gifts, God, I just thank you for the great opportunities that you give us to grow. And so Lord, I pray that as we leave from this place today, as we worship one last song and think about what this means today for us, that we would be compelled to not just hear your word, but to do it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.